This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Labor Department is in the early stages of a year-long pilot program for veterans about to leave military service and their spouses. Labor describes it as an enhancement to its long-running Veterans Employment and Training Service, VETS. With how it works, we turn to Labor's Deputy Assistant Secretary for Policy for the VETS program, James Rodriguez. Mr. Rodriguez, good to have you on. Good morning, Tom. It's great to be with you. Give us the background here. VETS is Labor Department's work that parallels some of the work done by the Veterans Affairs Department, and you help people transitioning. Tell us about the pilot program, what it does, and how it works. Hey, I'm glad to really talk about our new employment navigators and what they do within this pilot program. They provide one-on-one services to transitioning service members and their spouses outside of the traditional TAP workshops. Transitioning service members and their spouses were going to work with the employment navigators to complete self-assessments. They're also going to do skills testing and explore career options while identifying high-demand occupations and necessary credentials to meet the uh, emerging markets and the emerging trends within specific skill sets. Okay, let's back up for a moment. You mentioned something called TAPS, and what is that? So the Transition Assistance Program, it is a three-day workshop that transitioning service members who are separating from the military, they have to attend, it's mandated they attend as they are preparing to transition out of the military service. Department of Defense has a one-day workshop. Department of Veterans Affairs has a one-day workshop. And Department of Labor Vets has a one-day workshop. So that adds up to three days, hearing from three different parties to help these members. Until now, has it extended to spouses? Because the new enhanced pilot includes the spouses of the military members. Well, we actually began a transition employment assistance for military spouses program that we are currently piloting right now. Now, prior, we would provide training to military spouses But this program itself is specifically geared towards military spouses, the teams program that I just mentioned. Got it. And you mentioned something called a navigator. That's a human being, correct? Not a piece of software? That is correct. It's an employment navigator is what we call them. And we call our program the Employment Navigator Partnerships. Okay. So the enhancement then is bringing in the spouses into this whole TAP idea because uh, I guess it's predicated on the fact that lots of spouses work already and want to continue working after their spouse is out of the military. That is 100% correct. And we also understand that our military spouses are highly qualified and in many cases uh, very highly educated. And they have skill sets that can obviously be utilized in the workforce. But we do know that they have some challenges in navigating that transition just like their service member spouses do. So we want to support that transition for military spouses just like we do for the military service member. Yeah, what are some of the challenges that a spouse would have as his or her spouse leaves the military and becomes a civilian? You know, that's a great question, right? We know that they face uh, some of the similar uh, challenges that service members obviously face when they're transitioning out. But a couple of key things that are important here to really talk about is they do maintain, in many cases, professional licenses in specific uh, career fields, such as um, the health industry, teaching professions. And when they are looking to transition out of the military from a specific base or specific state, uh, it's sometimes a challenge finding uh, positions that uh, they can utilize those certificates in and uh, their professional skills. So we want to make sure that we are partnering with the agencies that can support that at the state level and, of course, 
importantly, from the federal level. We're speaking with James Rodriguez. He's Deputy Assistant Secretary of Labor for the Veterans Employment and Training Service. And what were the signals you were getting that maybe caused labor to realize you need to extend TAPS? to spouses? Well, we've known that oftentimes when service members are transitioning out, as I often say, their families transition with them. So it is an impact not only on the military spouses, but the family as a whole. And so we wanted to provide uh, information, resources to support that transition, as I mentioned earlier. And again, when they are looking to get in specific industries or in specific uh, locations, Sometimes information is not readily available to them in reference to their background and skill sets. So we utilize our partners, both non-government and government partners, specifically at the American Job Centers, to help them identify organizations who are military friendly, organizations who are military spouse friendly, and give them information on how to find those careers, but also we make those connections with those organizations through our employment navigators. And let's get into some details. You have this as an online component, this training, this three-day TAPS program, but it's also being offered in person at certain bases? That is correct. Here recently, the May 25th through May 27th, we conducted a in-person workshop for military spouses at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And how many people attended and what was the breakdown versus men and women? So we had 95% more women that attended the class. We had two males, but majority of our military spouses are women. So that is kind of part for the course. This program is running through next spring. And so what, what are the next phases of the pilot? So what we're going to continue to do is continue to gather information about the resources that are actually working well for our our uh, spouses. Uh, recently in a 2020 deal of that survey, 700 military spouses stated that they had a professional license or certificate that would benefit from interstate portability. And we know, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, most of these licenses are in health and teaching professions, but they are also uh, they also have skill sets in various industries. And we are going to look at those skill sets. We're going to look at what training work well and then what other areas of the training that we can improve on. So we're gonna take all of that information and adjust our program as required to meet the needs of our military spouses. So part of the training might be able to help people navigate their way to use the term navigate through say another state's licensing requirements or bureaucracy so that they can get that license for whatever function they want to perform in the new location. And that is correct. And so we're also going to look at what resources that we have specifically, as I mentioned, with our American job centers, our non, non-governmental partners, we are we getting, uh, if you will, the best bang for our buck in the sense of what partnerships are working well, what other ones can we approve on based off of the resource requirements that are needed to support military spouses. And do you ever want to call up a state and say, look, we've got someone who teaches third grade math in this state. Can't they just, given the service they've given to the country, teach third grade math in your state or whatever the case might be, real estate sales? or So we can, and we do make calls to states uh, but as uh, you can imagine, there's specific requirements with each individual states. If you look at it from a reciprocity standpoint, where they actually provide information, but also will receive information in reference to those credentials, and will the states make a determination on what information and what credentials they are going to utilize to support that uh, credential 
being transferred within that state. And getting back to the pilot then, you did offer it at Fort Campbell in person. Will there be other in-person offerings? And is it also an online type of thing? And if it's online... Is it live or pre-recorded, or how does that work? Is it a big Zoom meeting or what? Those are all great questions, and yes. So what we're going to continue to do is provide the the courses in a virtual format. We also record the training, so spouses, uh, when they have the opportunity, can go back and review the training. We also understand that uh, sometimes military spouses are completely busy with family, other obligations, and they cannot always make it to the in-person training or even the scheduled virtual training. So we know through recordings, they can access it at different times or when it's convenient for them. And so we found that that is an important resource for our military spouses. So we're going to continue to do that moving forward. And what will your signs be that this should move from a pilot to a permanent program? As we look at the research and we continue to receive responses from our military spouses through surveys after the the uh, training is completed, we're going to take that information and plan out, I guess I should say, the schedules for uh, in-person and virtual and figure out what avenue works best for the specific locations and the specific group of spouses at whatever basis we are providing this training at. James Rodriguez is Deputy Assistant Secretary of Labor for the Veterans Employment and Training Service. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, of course, I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you about our transition assistance program and what we do with our employment navigators, but also, and more importantly, about what we do to support our military spouses. All right. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, You think about a pandemic, for example, that has uh, placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And, and the idea that we don't have the human interaction, uh, which I think is very important when you think about the I- empathy that is a, a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me. 
uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to be uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina, uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a liberal school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black. Literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream, which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have, uh, my willingness to, to fight for change. And that was, that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there have been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, the, the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life. And, and it, it conjured up, again, these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community, uh, inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think, with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them, of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life? And what quality... Did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values. But the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream, 
dream, which we often define and think of his big I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's in an opportunity despite the barriers. And that, that attribute, I think, is one that, that I embody. I mean, I, I, I'm very optimistic uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service, Uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills? And and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, What comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of of being a leader, uh, and 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 I, I I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants, and I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the. Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor, the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, um, and, and, and so I think that's a lesson for me, if there was some advice and counsel I could give, is to continue to do your work. But, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. 
Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.